Neo's publicist apologizes for Neo speaking the truth. Porsche scrubs Jesus Christ from a landmark and a trans woman wants her testicles back. It may only be Wednesday, but I can already think of a few losers this week. The show starts now. So folks, I for one am sick and tired of celebrities and public figures apologizing for things they shouldn't apologize for with BS PR hostage statements. And unfortunately, that is exactly what R&B singer Neo's publicist has done. So to backtrack, in a recent interview with Vlad TV, Neo took a surprising yet very common sense, very decent stance on gender transition surgeries for minors, saying this, I feel like parents have almost forgotten what the role of parent is. If your little boy comes to you and says, Daddy, I want to be a girl, and you just let him rock with that? He went on to make this logic-based assessment. You could identify as a goldfish if you feel like Right. <laughs> I, I agree. Care. That ain't my business. It's just, it becomes my business when you try to make me play the game with you. I'm not going right. to call you a goldfish, but exactly. you, you want to be a goldfish, you go be a goldfish. It's all Amen. Good. If you're wondering what's wrong with that statement, you're not alone, and congratulations, you're a normal human being. But those who subscribe to woke ideology and the rainbow gospel had a real hissy fit over it, calling Neo anti-trans. Folks, this is how far the leftists have moved the goalposts. If you, as an adult man and parent, say children shouldn't cut off body parts, you are labeled anti-trans and a bigot. These labels and insults should have no effect on normal and decent people, but unfortunately, the leftist cancel culture cult controls a whole lot of even normal and decent people. So what did Neo's publicist do? Put out an apology statement with the usual verbiage, all the social media apologies read more like hostage statements because that's exactly what they are. And in this case, that's what Neo's publicist did. But as for Neo, he is seemingly not backing down from his original remarks. This is something I feel very strongly on. And I need y'all to hear this from the horse's mouth, not the publicist's computer. So check this out. First and foremost, I do not apologize for having an opinion on this matter. I'm absolutely entitled to feel how I feel the same way you are entitled to feel how you feel. I ain't asked nobody to follow me. I ain't asked nobody to agree with me. I was asked a question and I answered the damn question, okay? I have no beef with the LBGTQIA plus community whatsoever. I ain't got no beef with y'all. Do whatever the hell it is you want to do. Do what you want to do with your kids. However, somebody asked my opinion on this matter and this is how I feel. I will never be okay with allowing a child to make a decision that detrimental to their life. Hell yes. But isn't it sick and sad that public figures are basically forced to make a statement of apology for standing up for children and childhood innocence? Really, it's the child exploiters, pedophiles, and pedophile sympathizers that should be making statements of apology, but don't expect that anytime soon. As for Neo's publicist, shame on you. You are a loser. We live in an increasingly godless society, as evidenced by my next loser this week. Porsche thought it would be a cool idea to feature the Porsche 911 driving across the screen against the backdrop of a bridge and a river in Lisbon, Portugal. Neat. Until you look a little closer and realize the company edited out the iconic Cristo Rey, a statue of Jesus Christ, leaving a concrete stump in its place. Porsche told Fox Business in a statement, quote, In an early version of the film created in Europe, the Cristo Rey statue does not appear. We are truly sorry and can fully understand the hurt this has caused. The film has been removed. So the film reappeared in a new version on Sunday afternoon with the statue of Jesus Christ edited back in. 
I mean, come on, Porsche. Did you really think people were gonna, weren't going to notice you scrubbed an iconic statue out of your ad? You know, while I'm glad the company reversed course, it's really beyond me why they'd make such a stupid and avoidable mistake to begin with. Truly loser behavior. But if you thought that was bad, wait till you hear this next story. Meet Brianna Kingsley. I know you're going to be shocked when I tell you this, but Brianna is a trans woman, and she wants a pair of things back that belong to her. Her testicles. Yes, you heard that right. Brianna is demanding her ex-boyfriend return her surgically removed testicles, which she claims he keeps in the fridge in a jar next to eggs. Chicken eggs, I would assume, but this story is weird, so you never know. Now, Brianna has filed an affidavit and not only wants the balls back, but is seeking $6,500 in damages. But it gets weirder. The ex-boyfriend has no plans to surrender the balls and instead is accusing Brianna of harassing him. And he was granted a personal protection order in December. Sounds like this story is far from over and the balls are still up in the air. Those are my losers of the week. Hope you enjoyed them as much as I did. But still ahead, pop quiz. What's killing America? Lawless liberal policies. That's what author and radio host Jason Rance joins me next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Call it vigilante justice or just good people sick and tired of being taken to the cleaners by brazen thugs. That video is what happens when liberal lawless policies do what liberal lawless policies do. Fail. But get this, according to Stockton, California police, those two 7-Eleven store clerks are under investigation for assault. As for that thug, he is suspected of committing two other robberies at that same 7-Eleven within 24 hours of this viral smackdown. When the law means nothing and law enforcement officers are reduced to glorified babysitters, this is the America you get. But it's not just L.A. and not just New York City. These repeated and regular instances of lawlessness are the norm for all blue cities run by Democrat politicians, activist DAs, and bleeding-heart liberals who care more about felons and thugs than victims and decent people. As a resident of Seattle, my next guest knows the song and dance all too well. So well, in fact, he's written a book about it. Joining me now is radio host and author of the forthcoming book, What's Killing America, Jason Rance. Jason, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on the book coming out September 23rd. I know it's available right now for pre-order, and it's going to be a fantastic book. I mean, you're reporting on these stories, really, that nobody else in your area is covering. 
But I, I have to ask you right off the top, why do you stay in the Pacific Northwest? What is it that you love about, you know, homelessness, crime, high taxes, regulations, climate change, extreme policies? There's got to be something there I'm missing. Look, at the end of the day, this is a great city that has been destroyed by the radical left. And what I don't want to have happen is be chased out of my home by politicians and bad faith activists. And so I, you know, part of me wants to stay here and fight for the city. I, I think if all of us took that posture, we would lose less of these battles because of the truth of the matter is, and I cover this in the book, is these bad policies and these activists, they don't stay in Seattle or San Francisco or New York or Chicago, Atlanta, D.C. All of a sudden it starts to spread. And I, you know, as a radio talk show host, I would hear oftentimes from listeners who would say, OK, I moved out of Seattle. I'm now in Enumclaw. I'm now in Tacoma or Everett, uh, cities in Washington state. And they say, I don't have to worry about that anymore. But now they're saying, yeah, I do have to worry about it because the bad policies on homelessness have been adopted elsewhere. And then all of a sudden, those exact same problems, the issues in schools, the issues with taxation, the impact of having an open border as it relates to drugs, it is infecting every single portion of this country. And for the few people who have not yet felt it, I promise you, you are going to feel it if we don't start pushing back in a meaningful way. When you talk to people, obviously you live in a liberal area, I would assume mostly made up of liberals because that's how they vote. But when you talk to people and you get beyond the label of Democrat and Republican, conservative, liberal, are people agreeing with you and what you're saying when they see the stories you're reporting on? Are they thinking to themselves, you know what, maybe it's time to change the way we vote. It's time to maybe go a different direction. Or are they still so stuck in that echo chamber that they live in that they cannot see what's in front of their own eyes? There's a little bit of both, and there's definitely been an evolution. So a few years ago, when the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone broke out, for example, and I was on Fox covering it every single day, I was told that I was making it up, that I was exaggerating the crises on the ground. I'm like, I've got literal video that I am showing on television, and I'm tweeting it out. I, I promise you, I didn't get someone from Marvel Studios to make the video for me. They just refused to accept it. And then when, of course, teenagers, black teenagers were murdered there, all of a sudden people started to step back and say, okay, maybe something else is going on. And over the years since then, you've had more and more people who previously were reluctant to agree with someone like me purely because I happen to be a conservative, because they truly understand that these issues aren't inherently political. They become political, right? Because politicians are involved, because it's a direct connection to policy that we can point to. But just talking about policing, and drug use and homelessness and taxes. These aren't always just a right versus left because at the end of the day, regardless of how you vote, we wanna live in safe communities. You guys wanna bring your kids to a park that's not overtaken by a homeless guy who's smoking fentanyl by the, by the slide. You don't want your kid picking up a used needle and you don't wanna be taxed so high that you can't afford to live in a city anymore. And if you are gonna deal with those taxes, you don't want to live in a hellhole. And there are a lot of people in Seattle, in Portland, lots of folks have decided to leave Portland, San Francisco, exactly the same thing that they said, look, I'm paying a lot to live here. This is not the city that I fell in love with. I'm going to go somewhere else. 
Well, it makes sense. I mean, that's what I did when I left Los Angeles. And obviously, I've yeah. spent a lot of time in Southern California. I've spent time in San Francisco as well. And we always talk about California being so bad, and it is. But I've spent time in the Pacific Northwest in both Seattle and Portland. And I got to tell you, almost worse. In fact, Portland might be one of the worst cities I have ever visited when it comes to the homelessness and the crime mm -hmm. and the drug use. And I just don't know how cities like Seattle and Portland and San Francisco, how do they dig themselves out of this hole? Because these homeless people, they're not going anywhere. I don't look at the homeless population and think, boy, one day they're just going to wake up and they're going to decide to get clean, sober and get a job. It doesn't feel like there is an end to any of this. And I'm wondering what you're seeing on the ground. Is there anybody that has a willingness to step in and, and truly begin to solve this homeless crisis? It almost feels like politicians don't want to solve it at this point. Yeah, I, I think the reluctance from politicians is they would admit blame if they started to reverse course on some of the policies that are responsible. And ultimately, I don't think it's going to be up to any leader who's currently in place in any of these cities. We can't turn to them. They're not going to be able to do the job. The only way we're going to get any kind of resurgence of norm normalcy in these cities is new leadership. And what we started to see in San Francisco, for example, has been very positive. It's actually, again, part of the reason why I wrote What's Killing America is I want you to know why people believe what they believe, because once you understand the why, it makes it so much easier to convince other people to join you in your political fight. And what happened in San Francisco? They recalled Chesa Boudin, who was a George Soros-like prosecutor. He was a wannabe. He wanted to be worse than George Soros. Then you have the same voters, and these are not conservatives. There are like 17 conservatives in San Francisco who stepped forward and recalled the school board members who were available for recall because they stopped focusing on education. And instead, they focused on the wokeness. And folks there just said, look, enough is enough. And they made those decisions. Things are starting to get a little bit better in San Francisco. The problem with all of these changes, it, it takes a long time to get to a place where you're happy, where the crime is down, where drug use is low, where homelessness is generally controlled. But overnight, it can all go away. It's like a diet. You've worked three months to lose 10 pounds. You go to Vegas on a weekend, and then you gain four of those pounds back. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, what did I just do? That's the problem here. It's going to take a long time. But we have to make those choices to say to a lot of these politicians, and this is on liberals in a lot of ways, just because they have a D next to their name does not mean they're looking out for your community. You have to move on from them. And we have to encourage people to step up who are more moderate, who can take control of these situations and frankly, get rid of all the ideology. Ideology has a tendency to pervert these conversations and gets people to just think too rigidly on a local level. The ideology doesn't matter as much. So we got to push it aside because what we've seen right now, when you give ideology as much power as we have and the radicals behind it, they ruin these cities. Well, I think you're right about starting at the local level. It's much easier and you're going to see much more impact yeah. when you start there. A lot of people don't want to because it feels like small potatoes. It feels tedious. But that's where places where real change actually can occur. But, you know, when, in thinking about this, it feels like some of these things are very solvable, like enforcing the law, for example, empowering mm -hmm. your police officers. But you guys are in a position, especially in Seattle, where you don't have people wanting to sign up for that job. So, and I can't imagine why they would, by the way. Why would you want to live in Seattle and be a police officer?
answer when you know everything's going to be about race, everything's going to be about LGBT. You can't really do your job. You have to look at the perpetrator and decide if what box they fit into, if you're going to react or, or not react in a certain way or manner. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. So how do you get police officers that want to sign up for the job, and then once they're in that job, how do you make it so the public outcry is lessened every time there's an incident, which usually, if you look yeah. at the full story, the police officers are usually acting appropriately, but the court of public opinion rarely sees it that way in liberal cities like yours. Yeah, look, th this one is going to be a very difficult putt. At the end of the day, you've created this cultural shift around how people see police. And if there's no general respect for law enforcement, on top of policies or laws that have passed that prevent officers from doing their jobs, I don't know how we expect anyone to step up. And the problem is the people who generally would step up in an environment where we said we were dismantling the police departments and we're starting afresh because of all the white supremacy and all that nonsense. Unfortunately, what you're going to get are folks who have no real personality for law enforcement, and you're going to get a bunch of woke 20-somethings who think that they can reimagine policing and change it in this left-wing image. And that's the real fear that I have. People don't want to work for police. And you've got departments here in Seattle, for example, that, that I mean, this is absurd. You had, and I found this memo a few months ago, and I've been working on this story for months. You have the mayor's office demanding in marketing materials to get rid of the white people, to get rid of white men, to get rid of anyone who has quote unquote military bearing. And the intent here is they want to bring over folks who are, uh, you know, from communities of color because they want to reflect the community in which they police. So number one, uh, this whole idea of your police department or any department reflecting the community from a superficial standpoint, I just wholly reject. If I'm calling 911, I don't need a Jewish white male to come and save me from the intruder who just broke into the house and is armed and I'm not at the time. So I, I just reject that. I think it's dangerous. But number two, they don't even want that anyway. When you set these kind of affirmative action goals, you mean to tell me that in a city that has, seven, uh, it's like 6.7% black people. If we have qualified black officers, but they're at 12%, we're gonna cut that almost in half. And are we going to say because we have a qualified white person, but our force is 66% instead of 64% white, we're going to get rid of those folks? No, beggars can't be choosers for one. So I would encourage everyone to want to who wants to apply to actually apply. But when we're telling them that they're going to be the enemy, this is the situation we find ourselves in. Oakland is another great example where they've got a dearth of officers at a time where crime is surging. The NAACP just in the last couple of weeks the local chapter, they're speaking out against radical left policies and the defund movement. And they're starting to tr at least try to change the culture around policing. And when that starts to shift in a positive direction, I think we'll start to see more people step forward. But again, you're going to have to get rid of a lot of these laws that have been passed around the country. Because if you're not going to allow police officers to be police officers and do their jobs, they're little more than people with targets on their backs now. So Jason, in your book, What's Killing America, you talk about all of these things. We're obviously headed into an election year, a primary season. I think that Republicans thought crime was going to be a much bigger deal in the 2022 midterms. I think a lot of Republicans thought it was a winning issue if we talked about lawlessness and what's killing mm -hmm. America. But unfortunately, 
it didn't reflect in these elections. It didn't reflect in, in the Republican areas that it should have, that there should have been yeah. a flip and people saying, look, it's lawless, it's, it's horrible, we want our police officers back. It didn't have enough pull. So because you're the author of What's Killing America, you talk about what's killing the whole country, not just the Pacific Northwest. What should Republicans and what should voters be looking to as they get ready to cast ballots in 2024 as it relates to crime, their quality of life, their cities? Mm -hmm. All politics is local. So the individual has to sit back and say, am I happy with the situation that I find myself in right now? Am I pleased with the crime situation? Am I okay with homelessness? Am I okay with the taxes I'm paying? Am I okay with the schools? And if whatever the answer is for whatever issue that's bothering you, if the answer is no, find out why. And in What's Killing America, I explain why. And then you're very easily able to say, okay, here's a policy that is responsible for the situation I'm in. You have to do a little bit of research. But once you find the policy, find out who's responsible. And the people who are responsible do not deserve your vote. And if the party, that's in power in your community continues to back these policies or back these politicians, well, they made the situation for you so much easier. Go with their opponents. At the end of the day, we have all this power, but we've ceded it to a group of radical folks on the left and they have destroyed our cities and it's spreading. So I do think actually crime is going to still be an important issue, but so too will schools and just general quality of life. And I think from a national standpoint, it's a little bit more difficult when you're running for Congress and you're trying to figure out who to vote for. That's not always going to directly connect, but it does send a message that now you're saying, you know what, Democrat Party or the radical left of progressives who run a lot of these cities or areas, yeah, we don't want you in charge anymore. And if that means we're also dumping our member of Congress who identifies with the same party, so be it. Because if we don't make that kind of very specific and aggressive move, we're going to continue to lose this country and it's going to go from what's killing America to what's killed America. And that's the part I'm trying to avoid. Well, I give you a lot of credit for sticking it out. I mean, you lasted obviously far longer than me. I was in LA for a little over <laughs> three years and uh, I, I decided it, it wasn't worth the taxes anymore. It wasn't worth what I was paying for. So I got to the beautiful state of Tennessee, but I give you a lot of credit. And obviously we always appreciate you really exposing a lot of these stories. You're, you're one of the only people that's out there giving us a true, honest perspective of what's happening in those regions. And I'm sure it can't be easy for you because you're outnumbered like crazy. But your book's available September 23rd, not too long from now. People can pre-order it now. Where's the best place for them to pre-order a copy? Um, I'm happy wherever you get it, but check it out on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever it is you get your books. Well, congratulations on the book and keep doing what you're doing, Jason. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Still ahead, whether it's Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein or John Fetterman, it is unacceptable our elected leaders are clinging on to power as they barely cling on to their own faculties. My final thoughts are next. There is no age cap for the power hungry, but maybe there should be. Mitch, Diane, John and especially Joe, I'm talking to you. It's time for final thoughts. Age is indeed an issue of mind over matter, but when it comes to our senile political leaders, the American people mind, and yeah, it matters. God bless you all.
pay much? Anything else you want to say? I'm sure just go back to your office. Do you want to say anything else to the press? And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. Thank you. Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. So those clips are hard to watch because we obviously feel for these people, whether we agree with them or not. Getting old is a bitch, and it takes a toll on some more than others, and that's not a crime. That's just life. But what is unbelievably selfish and wrong is for these political leaders to cling on to their seats and their power, hoping to take both to the grave. Take Senator Dianne Feinstein, for example. She is 90 years old, and whether or not you agree with her politics, she is a trailblazer and a political icon. But... She's still 90 years old and quite obviously struggles with daily life tasks, let alone being one of two senators for the entire state of California. But still, she clings onto her seat. Her team insists she is just fine, dandy, and able to serve the people of California and the United States. But why has she then given power of attorney to her daughter? Now, that's not an uncommon thing for a 90-year-old to do, but it is rather uncommon for a 90-year-old to simultaneously claim she can serve her constituents but not represent herself in personal legal matters and capacities. This is just unacceptable and also sad that this is the way she's going to be remembered because her legacy is too impressive to go out like this. And the same goes for Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Now, to be fair, aside from the recent incident where he froze in the middle of remarks, he appears to still have his faculties about him, but for how much longer? And what about John Fetterman? The poor man suffered a stroke and has clearly not been the same since. He's also recently had to take a leave of absence to deal with depression and mental health issues. That's not something to be scoffed at unless you're a United States senator representing the state of Pennsylvania. His constituents don't deserve this, but I guess they voted for it, so maybe they do. And that brings us to Joe Biden, our current president, God save the queen. He is clearly out to cognitive breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and his daily schedule, when he's not on vacation, is a joke. I don't like the idea of term limits because I feel like the American people should be smart and savvy enough to vote these people out when it's clear they cannot mentally and physically perform, but maybe not. Our politicians are more addicted to power and influence than duty or love of country, and shame on their family members for not stepping in. Politics might be the only profession that allows for this, but surely the greatest nation on the face of the earth can do better. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.